Hey listeners, my name is Kayla and I am the creator and host of a new podcast called Dark Tales from the Road. We cover true crime, spooky, creepy, and ghostly stories, and I want to take you state by state and country by country to bring you stories you may not have even heard of before, and also learn some history on the city and the state where it takes place. So join me on the road as we discover dark tales. New episodes are posted every Wednesday. I have an Instagram, Facebook, and a Patreon, all at Dark Tales from the Road. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone has a great day. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And this is True Crime B&B. We're back for episode 28. Yep, and you just heard the trailer of our friend Kayla over at Dark Tales from the Road. She is so sweet. She is a stay-at-home mom, and she just started up her podcast, and it's super awesome so far, and we really highly recommend you go check her out. Yeah, she's got a very sweet and low-key, very relaxing voice, and so you're not going to be stressed out listening to this, Mm -hmm. even though the subject matter is pretty dastardly sometimes. (laughs) So, So, yeah, what are you telling us about today? This week, I decided to target one of our target states that we have not covered yet. All right. And I'm going to Alaska. Oh, cool. All right. And I decided to go about it. Usually, I kind of start out talking about the victim, but I'm going to tell you about how the victim was found because I feel like if I do that first the rest of what leads up to it you can see how creepy this story is okay it just gives you better insight okay good also this is the start of my new series you have architect mayhem yeah I'm starting the campus murders oh that's cool right I think that's a great idea okay I like it this is, I guess, technically episode two of Campus Murders because the first one was Betsy Arzma. Right, cool. Okay, so this one is in Alaska, okay. and I'll just jump right in. On April 26, 1993, at University of Alaska Fairbanks, police were called by the university janitors to the scene of a deceased female found in a bathtub in one of their dorms. Mm. She had been brutally stabbed multiple times, sexually assaulted, and shot in the back of her head. Jesus Christ, talk about a little overkill. Yeah. Poor girl. And this would become one of Alaska's biggest cold cases for nearly 26 years until this year. (gasps) Okay. So let's talk about the victim of this crime. The victim was 20-year-old Sophie Ann Sergi. She was a native of literally a population of like 70 from her little tiny town of Alaska. Okay. Called Pitka's Point, Alaska. All right. She was born there in 1973. It's a little more inland, but it is pretty close to the ocean. And because of that, she had a huge love of the ocean and the sea. And okay. she decided when she was little that she wanted to grow up and join the Navy because she, again, loved the ocean. All right. However, when time came around to that, she was 18. She was only four foot nine, and the position she wanted in the Navy, she did not qualify for. So she went with her second choice option, and she decided instead she'd be the first of her family to attend college. Wow, good for her. She applied as a marine biology major, which, again, love of the ocean. Wow, I'm detecting a theme (laughs) with this young lady. Yeah, lived and breathed ocean life. Wow. So she applied to the University of Alaska Fairbanks campus, which was about... It was really hard to find because I tried to find the distance between her hometown and Fairbanks, And every time I looked it up on Google Maps, it kept saying, there's no possible option of 
how to transport here. Like, like you can't get there from here. You can't walk here. You can't drive here. There's no city buses here. Like, you know. You could probably walk if you took long enough. Wow. It couldn't even give you a distance. Yeah, but I saw somebody else who had written an article about this who said it was a five and a half hour plane ride. So it was all the way across the Oh, that's a, that, that's a long way. Yeah, long, long walk. <laughs> I mean, flying from here to Las Vegas is about a four hour flight. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty far from home. And again, she had grown up in this tiny little village of only seven. 70 people. Now she's going to be living in this urban campus life that she's not accustomed to. Right. So it was a big adjustment, and she ended up actually getting, I forgot to mention, a full ride scholarship to wow, the University so of Alaska. Super smart, too. Super smart. When she got to campus, there was a student aid center there called the Rural Student Services because in Alaska, a lot of people are coming from that exact same background of a small area, not used to being able to walk the market and stuff. Okay. So it kind of got her accustomed. And she also had a friend named Shirley Wasuli, and it's unclear if she knew Shirley from her hometown or if she met Shirley at the student center Okay. for other students coming in from rural Alaska. But they became best friends on this campus. Okay. In 1992, Sophie was 20. She had to take a break from school, like a leave of absence, and go home back to her hometown because she had to get orthodontic surgery. Oh, ouch. And during this, she also decided to take a job at the school in her hometown just to get the health insurance benefits until she could get back up on her feet and go back to the University of Alaska. Okay. The only reason she took a break was because she needed the health insurance, so that's why she moved back home. However, the orthodontist she was seeing for the surgery and follow-up visits was still in Fairbanks. Okay. So she would keep coming back to the campus every couple months for checkup, stuff like that. And while she was there, her friend Shirley, that still lived there in the dorms, would let her stay with her. Wow, okay. That just saved her some money, obviously. It's probably expensive to get an airplane all the way across just to go to an orthodontist appointment. Yeah, especially because they're probably those little tiny planes. Mm -hmm. Shirley lived in a dorm called Bartlett Hall on the second floor. It was a co-ed dorm, but it was separated by floor. Okay. It's like first floor men, second floor women on and on, you know? Right, okay. While Sophie was in town and staying with Shirley, she would just give Sophie the key to her room, and then Shirley had a boyfriend who lived in the dorm as well, and she would just go stay with him and give her the room for the night. Okay. So that was, like, routine. They did this every time she came back for a visit. Saturday, April 24th, 1993, this is exactly what was happening. She flew into town, the girls met up for lunch, Sophie went shopping and got things that were in the city that she didn't have back in her rural town. Mm-hmm. And then they called it a night and separated. Okay. On Sunday, April 25th, the girls again spent the day apart because Shirley was studying and then Sophie went to run around town, meet up with friends she hadn't seen from campus in a while. And then they met back up again in Shirley's dorm room with her boyfriend this time, Noah. And they all had the picnic on the ground and had pizza, which sounds so college-esque. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I had so many nights like that. <laughs> But they just ate pizza, chit-chatted. Around 1 a.m., the hangout was wrapping up, and Shirley and Noah told Sophie goodnight and that they were going to go ahead and head back to Noah's dorm room. And right before Shirley left, Sophie kind of, like, grabbed her by the arm and said, hey, is there a place I could go smoke around here? Because she was a smoker. But it was below zero outside that night. So she didn't know if there was, like, a smoking area. Where should I go? And Shirley had told her, down the hall of the, there's the girls' bathroom right up the hall. And if you go in there, there's an exhaust fan that leads directly to the outside. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people on the floor who did smoke would go in there at night and do that. And so that's why she had directed her down there. Okay. Sophie slipped off, went to the bathroom to go 
have a cigarette break. And then while she was gone, Shirley kind of waited for her a little bit until about 1.30-ish. And finally, she kind of said, God, she's taking forever. And she wrote her a note and left it on the bed saying, I'm going to Noah's room. We'll be back up tomorrow morning. Right. So she'd been gone like 15 minutes by the time. 15, 20 minutes-ish. Okay. So by the time she point, gave up and left. Yeah. At this point, she's like, God, is she like smoking the whole fucking pack? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so she just left a note and called a night, went to her, back to her boyfriend's room. Unknown at the time, Shirley had to walk through the lobby to get back to Noah's room on a couple floors away. Okay. She actually ended up passing the person who would commit this crime. Oh, jeez. And saw him, made eye contact with him, and then didn't even think about it ever again until this year when he was caught. Okay. She had no idea who he was at the time, though. She just recognized him in hindsight. But you may not know everybody that's in the dorm. Yeah, especially... And some of them change every quarter or every semester. Yeah, and sometimes... Who knows if that's a friend of somebody that lives in the dorm, you know? Right. Happens all the time. The next morning, Shirley came back to get ready in her dorm, as usual, and the door was still unlocked. So now that she's, like, a little bit alarmed. Yeah. She also noticed the TV and the lights were still on from the night before when they were all hanging out together in that Uh room. And the bed was still made with the note on top. Imagine the sick feeling you have in your stomach. And she kind of, like, did. She had that, something's off. That doesn't seem yeah. right. Maybe she stayed somewhere else. Or, and she kind of told herself, oh, she must have made the bed, put the note back, and then she's in the shower now. That's why the door's unlocked. And this is where it gets really horror movie-esque. Okay. Because at this point, Shirley decided to head over to the bathroom and see if she was showering there. And I want to show you what this bathroom looks like. I could find the floor plan, and that's about it. I speak floor plan. <laughs> this would be the one way to show you. Okay. So this is the bathroom. Yeah. It has a couple toilet stalls. It has yes. a couple shower stalls. And then there's like an actual room with the tub. Right. And all of them are closed off with a door. Okay. Yeah, I see. Shirley came in to the bathroom where she assumed her friend was showering. And as she walked in, she kind of called in and said all the doors were closed, all the showers and the stalls and everything. So she called into the bathroom and said, Sophie, are you in here? And she heard a female voice kind of muffled call back. Yeah, I'm here. Which is like never explained again. Just remember that happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Shirley then went back, continued her morning getting ready, left her another note for Sophie on the bed and said, hey, we'll meet back up later. Just And by the way, when did you get so damn slow? (laughs) Yeah, and what's going on? I want to see you today at some point. But she knew that she had an appointment at the orthodontist that day. It's a Monday now. She just figured, oh, she must be sluggish getting out of bed, going to the orthodontist, and then we'll meet up later. Whatever. Okay. And then continued on her day, went to class as normal. However, after not hearing from or seeing her for the remainder of the day, Shirley got really frustrated and scared and decided to call the orthodontist and see, did Sophie come to this appointment that I knew she had? Yeah. And the orthodontist confirmed, no, she never came to the appointment. Oh, wow. And so now she's actually getting terrified (laughs) about where she could be. And then rumors began spreading all across the campus. Somebody in one of the articles said, like a sick game of telephone, saying the police had been just surrounding Bartlett Hall. And so Shirley, it kind of got back to her, and she heard this happening and asked one of the people and said, wait, what's going on at Bartlett Hall? I live there. And they told her somebody found a woman's body in the second floor woman's bathroom. Oh, my God. Just imagine. She knows knows immediately, doesn't she? Yeah, just gut punch. It's the exact floor she lives on, the exact dorm. Yeah. And, yeah. And exactly where her friend just told her a few hours ago that's she where she be. was. Mm-hmm. Well, she somebody said it was her, so. Yeah. So obviously she rushed back to the building to see if the rumors were true, and they were. 
She was actually denied at the door because obviously they're like, crime scene, you can't come in here. Yeah. But then she explained to the police that her friend was missing from that exact floor and they let her back upstairs into her room and they decided to interview her with her boyfriend Noah. Then they searched the room to see if they could find any of Sophie's belongings that could lead to where she had gone and they found her ID and that's when it was confirmed that it was her. Oh, wow. I mean, it's not like she could have done anything differently. She, yeah. I mean, Sophie was 20. She was 20 years old. 20 yeah. years old. She doesn't need her handheld. She doesn't need to be escorted mm-hmm. everywhere. And to go to the bathroom and not make it back is certainly not her friend's. You had school the next day. Nobody expected you to wait around until she got back if she was taking too long in the bathroom. Like, you know? Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's just sad. The detectives were able to preserve DNA from her body because, like I said, she had been sexually assaulted. And it was still early in the technology at that point, 1993. Yeah. But they kept it and preserved it. They also determined that she had been dead there for at least 12 hours by this point, And they found her at mid-afternoon. It's like 3 o'clock-ish, 4 o'clock-ish. So she was already dead so when she the had, voice came out. Yes, that's why it's creepy that she had called in, Sophie, are you here? And somebody had responded, yeah, I'm here. I wonder if there was another Sophie. Possibly. Or if the killer was in there pretending to sound like a girl. It could be. Yeah, in the shower where it's echoey and you have a door between you and the mm-hmm. shower. Of course, you could... So, who knows? There's really no explanation to what happened there. But they proceeded to interview every single person in the dorm, even those that had no idea who Sophie was. That's good. And absolutely nobody seemed suspicious. There was nobody who had an alibi that wasn't matching up. Everything just seemed completely like somebody had just randomly come into the storm and done this. That's what they were going off of. Right. And they knew it was a man. Obviously, there was semen. Yeah. But they also, based on the brutality and overkill, they kind of assumed it was a random attack. Sophie didn't live here. She was just visiting a friend. And that this man had a rage towards women. That's kind of what they got based on the scene. Okay. And I think it was just the overkill that led them to that. That wasn't really... I don't know, because I always thought that they came to the conclusion more often that if it's really rage overkill, mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's a personal attack. So why did they come to the opposite conclusion? I don't know. They probably didn't have a lot of murders. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably town. true. But that's just what they said in all their articles. Well, and nobody would have known she was going to be there. Yeah, it's not so like... it's not like you would go there looking for her to kill her. Mm-hmm. Unless you just saw a random woman and said, I want her. Yeah. And it completely went cold, like I told you, for about 26 years. Finally, in 2000, they did upload the DNA to CODIS, but nothing came back. There was nobody in the system ever found that was matching the DNA. However, in 2019, a forensic genealogist found a familial match to the sample. Okay, good. And discovered that it was a female relative, but they were very closely related to a former University of Alaska Fairbanks student. However, this aunt lived in Maine, and so did this former student. They went to interview this man. His name was Stephen H. Downs, and he was living in Auburn, Maine at the time. He denied knowing anything, despite living in the exact same dorm at the time she was found. Okay. So he literally was living on campus in that dorm at the time and didn't know anything about the murder. Okay. Had never heard of it. That's hard for me to believe. I remember, I still remember the name of the guy that attempted to kill himself my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that guy, but I could tell you his name right now. Exactly. When something traumatic like that happens in your dorm, 
You remember that forever. Even on your campus. I remember yeah. stuff that happened literally 10 dorms away from me, you know? That was huge yeah. red flag That's for the very police. That's far, <laughs> yeah. very far-fetched to believe. Yeah. At the time, just as a precaution, the police still decided to ask for a cheek swab. And okay. this cocky motherfucker said, yeah, sure, and gave it to them. And what do you know? He didn't realize they still had his semen on file from back in 1993, and this mother effer went down. Good. So, 2019, he was arrested after that. Wow, that's amazing. Stephen Downs had been 18 years old at the time he was a freshman, so he didn't know Sophie at all. They had never interacted before, and he did live in that dorm. There's not an explanation for motive. He never confesses to it. He says he's not guilty and still maintains it to this Then how'd your semen get inside of a poor woman who just wanted to go to an orthodontic appointment? Yeah. Another creepy thing about this case, he had been interviewed at the time, so I didn't know about the murder. Oh, really? Then why'd you think the police were talking to you? But nothing suspicious ever came up in what he said to them. His roommate at the time named Nicholas had actually been the security guard of the dorm Hmm. and had helped section off the scene for the police. Really? When she'd been found, which is bizarre. And I'm sure Nicholas didn't come back to the room and say anything about that to you while, yeah. while you were busy. And he had no your, idea somebody got murdered that night. <laughs> while you were in your invisible dome of silence and had no clue what was going on around you. Nicholas just forgot. It was just a casual day for him. He does that all the time. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. What is wrong? Yeah. How so, stupid do you think we are, dude? And, and he still maintains this throughout the whole trial. Now, I'm not going to take you through the whole trial because it's infuriating. This guy's a lying sack shit. Uh, clearly. Among but, other things. Among other things. He pled not guilty the entire time. His defense even tried to argue at one point that, yes, while his semen was found inside of her, there were other hair samples found at the scene, so it could be anyone who did this. It's a fucking tub! There's gonna be hair! Yeah? It's just, the whole thing is so maddening. I didn't even get into it any further than that. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like... Have you ever seen a dorm tub? I mean, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't have tubs. I've we, never we seen only a tub. Had, yeah, but we only had showers. But they mm-hmm. were pretty gross. Yeah, <laughs> flip flops only because you don't know what's on that floor. <laughs> like, or you do, and that's the that's scary the part. <laughs> it's almost as bad as the library stacks. <laughs> After everything, February tenth, two thousand twenty-two, Stephen H. Downs, who was forty-seven at his conviction, was found guilty of rape and murder. Good. And he's still awaiting his sentencing, but that is going to begin here in September. So once again, another case I'm going to keep my eye on and yeah. hope he gets life. Because he's still young. Is he's that the worst 47. that they can get in Alaska? Is that? Uh, well, he was charged in Maine. I don't was. know exactly how that works. I don't know either. So he has not been extradited back to Alaska yet. I don't know if after sentencing that will change, though. I wonder if they charged him under federal law because he fled to another state. Possibly. If it's federal, he could go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, once you have DNA, there's really, it's really hard to go back on that. Yeah, you can lie as much as you want, but none of us are buying it, you know? Yeah. And I did, I'm going to post this picture onto our Instagram. I just want to give some context. This picture was actually taken the night right before she was killed. Look how much fun and life she has in her. And then that asshole came along and just randomly decided, Mm -hmm. I'm going to destroy somebody today. So anyway, I was really sad after researching that. So I hope you bring us back up. (laughs) Well, my story is not super bubbly. There's not a great, great ending. But there's hopefully justice at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Mine happens next door to us. We're in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And this one takes place in Alabama. Betty Cobb has the heart of a public servant. 
She's well known in her small town of Anniston, Alabama. She has always been known and trusted and loved by just everyone. And she had made many friends in the sheriff's department, partly because everybody knew her from her normal good deeds in the community, and partly because she had also spent 30 years as an ambulance driver and then as a volunteer firefighter saving people's lives. So as a first responder, she had run in these circles of first responders for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Now, at the age of 75, that good karma that she had sent out into the world was coming back to her on the worst day of her life. On July the 4th, 2022, so this is just a few weeks ago now that we're recording. Wow, okay. We're recording on the 16th, and we're a couple weeks ahead, so... On July 4th, while most of Aniston was busy celebrating Independence Day, Betty had headed out to run some errands and bring home some groceries. She stopped at a total of three different stores before she got back into her car and headed back home. As soon as her family arrived at her house, they knew something bad had happened. They called 911 because they couldn't find her at her property, but her car was sitting out in the driveway. Mm -hmm. There were still groceries in the car, and some had even fallen out onto the ground. Her glasses were also found in the driveway. Upon going inside, her phone and keys were found on her bed, but still, Betty was nowhere to be found. The town immediately began searching for her. Hundreds of people, including law enforcement officers, firefighters, community volunteers, forewent their holiday and spread out to search anywhere that they could find. Anywhere they could think of to look. It's their family, essentially, you know? Yeah, it is, exactly. This is someone they love and care about and want want her home. That's so scary. Officers noted the grocery store that she had been to because the bags are still right there. Mm -hmm. And they hustled over there to review the CCTV footage from earlier that day to see if they could see anything on that. What they did see was that a man had been prowling around in the parking lot and he had followed Betty when she left that store. They checked video from the second store that she had gone to. The same man was following her around at that store, and again, he left when Betty left. They checked video from the third store. The same person was still following her, and once again, he tailed her as she left the parking lot. So, was she driving between each store, or was it just like a shopping center where she went from store to store? She was driving. So, each of these stores had surveillance video that showed this same car following her as she was leaving the parking lot. So this person clearly hellbent. Oh, oh yeah, this predator had picked her oh. as his intended victim at the first store and then he continued following her and stalking her until she finally headed back to her home. Hmm. He had just selected this aging woman, the 75-year-old woman who was alone because she just looked like somebody he could overpower. Spineless. What he hadn't counted on was that local law enforcement was not going to rest until they got Betty back. Mm-hmm. You know, she's one of theirs. Yeah. And I wish that they would treat all missing persons this way. But in this particular case, she had an in and they really wanted to help her. As soon as they identified the license plate number that was following Betty around in mm-hmm. all the surveillance video, they checked the registration database and they determined that the car that was following Betty Cobb was owned by 47-year-old Tony White. With this information, the Calhoun County Sheriff's Department began spreading out to several addresses that were associated with him. Mm. So, at one address, occupied by Tony White's ex-wife, she naturally wondered why the Sheriff's Department had come to her door looking for her ex-husband. The ex-wife, as soon as the Sheriff's deputies left, immediately called Tony White and said to him, What did you do? She's like, what the hell, what the fuck have you done? Because why are they here looking for you at my house? Why would you alert him, though? She doesn't know what they're there for. She doesn't know if this is an outstanding traffic ticket or... Okay. 
So by doing this, she unintentionally did mm-hmm. let him know that the police had figured out what he had done. She didn't know what he had done, but her calling told him that they knew what he had done. And upon realizing that the officers knew who he was and that they were out looking for him, he immediately had to go on the run. But let's back up because mm-hmm. we want to find out what happened to Betty. Yeah. Tony White had stalked Betty at the grocery store. He followed her to the next store. He stalked her there, and he followed her again to the third store. And from there, he followed her home. At no point did Betty have any suspicion that she was being followed. She just didn't notice him following her around. But is it a relatively small town? It is a small town. So, I mean, in the city, I guess, you get used to looking for things like that. In a small town, you probably wouldn't. You may not, right, because it's small enough that it might just be a coincidence if somebody happens to be going to the same places that you're going. As she got home and she began taking the groceries into the house, and remember, most people are not out running their normal routines, so there's not a lot of people out in the street. Mm -hmm. White allegedly accosted her, cut her with a knife, stole her cash, and forced her into the trunk of the car that he had been driving in the video footage. So he locked her in his trunk and then drove her to his home. At his house, again... Nobody was there to witness it, and allegedly he got Betty out of his trunk and forced her at knife point into the house. Then he bound her up with duct tape and shoved her roughly into a closet. He was allegedly preparing to drag her out of the closet for the purposes of raping her, and just then his cell phone rang. It was his ex-wife saying, what did you do? At which point he knew he was being searched for, and he needed to get out right away. There was no time to do anything about Betty. So he immediately left the house and took off in his car with Betty still trapped in the closet and still bound with duct tape. Oh, that makes me so like... Thankfully, (laughs) the call from the ex-wife actually interrupted the plan to rape Betty and saved her from the trauma of sexual assault. Well, I take back what I said. You did good, lady. (laughs) I know, I know. Because when you first hear that, you're like, you dumbass, why'd you do that? Moron. (laughs) But then you're like, oh, yay! You're a hero, moron. (laughs) About 7 p.m., police had made their way to the address that Betty had been taken to, and a tactical team entered the home. They didn't know if White was in there or not. Mm Mm-hmm. Tony White was long gone, but the officers did find Betty Cobb still in the closet. Since White had allegedly been brandishing a knife during the whole incident, Betty did sustain some cuts and lacerations. They got her out of the closet. They took her to the hospital to get her checked out and treat the wounds that she had received in this whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. She had been certain that this predator was planning to kill her, and she was flooded with relief when she was found. After Tony White had gone on the run, he was caught in Richmond, Kentucky the next day, July 5th, and then he was extradited back to Alabama on July the 8th. As Calhoun County Sheriff Matthew Wade pondered the details of what had happened to his friend Betty, he realized that nearly the same thing had been previously reported twice before in neighboring communities, except that in those, the rapes had unfortunately not been interrupted. Mm -hmm. In July of 2012, in northern Calhoun County, an 82-year-old woman had gone on a shopping trip in Alexandria, She kept noticing a small white sedan that appeared to be following her, but thinking she was just being silly, she just continued on home. Mm. And it's like you said, she just thought, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just somebody who happens to be around here. Well, yeah, it's easy to be paranoid and then be like, Mm -hmm. you're freaking yourself out for nothing. Stop it. Right. As she pulled into her driveway, the white car actually did follow her, and a man got out and rushed at her. He subdued her, raped her, and stole her credit cards. But then... The cards were never used, so investigators didn't have much of a trail to follow. Hmm. They did, however, do a rape kit and DNA evidence was obtained. 
The next July, so all three of these attacks have taken place in July. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Interesting. They're just the only ones that... Maybe people are more out and about in the summer type of... But the next July in 2013, a 67-year-old woman was leaving church. She drove to her house and went inside. A man, a few minutes later, came up to her door claiming that he wanted to sell her some books. He was carrying a big book that had the word tech, T-E-C-H, on the front. And she cracked open the door, basically going to tell him, no, I don't need that book. Thank you. What the hell am I going to do with that? Like- he asked if she was home alone. Aww. And then he forced his way into the house, raped her, and stole some cash from her. This man also was driving a small white sedan, and once again, DNA evidence was obtained. The DNA samples from both crimes were tested against one another and indicated that the same man had perpetrated both of the crimes. Since the crime against Betty Cobb only happened on July 4th of this year, it isn't yet known whether Tony White's DNA will be a match for the other two crimes that happened nine and ten years earlier. Mm -hmm. Composite sketches made at the times of the earlier rapes some say resemble Tony White, although I never tend to think they really look much like uh, uh, the, yeah. the person that they're talking about. Because two sketches made by two different artists, if you're just describing someone's face, they're going to be different. They're always going to be different. Yeah. You know? They're always hit or miss. Sometimes it's like, it literally looks like you just drew a picture of the person. You know? Yeah. But other times it's like... Yes, if I twist my head this way and squint this eye. <laughs> well, yeah, but I always remind myself that the person describing the face that they saw has just been raped or beaten yeah. up or someone hit them or shot them. You know, how are you going to have enough of a, a presence of mind to really mm-hmm. accurately describe that face? You might be able to recognize them again. Mm-hmm. But if someone sat and asked me to describe you to a sketch artist, yeah. I would do a shitty job. And I'm an artist. I'm not a portrait artist, but... But I, I totally understand. Other than, like, the basics of brown hair. Yeah, I mean... Greenish hazel say, eye. Like, you know... You like, would say, my mom has a knob nose. <laughs> kind of like mine here. And she has a, a chin hair. <laughs> I call him Spike. That would be really hilarious. If you were wanted for something, and I described you, based on your chin hair, you got caught. <laughs> I could save myself with a pair of tweezers. <laughs> but, but, yeah, how do you describe it otherwise? Because sometimes, some people would look at a person's face and be like, oh, they have chubby cheeks. And other people would be like, oh, yeah, that's just normal cheeks. Yeah, yeah, those are cheeks, all right. Yep. I just want to make the point that mm-hmm. people say that it looks like him, but I looked at the sketches and I don't think they especially look like him. Sheriff Wade suspects that the rapist of the two earlier women had likely stalked and followed an unknown number of senior ladies, mm-hmm. believing that they would be the most vulnerable. I mean, obviously, this is a pattern. It would be an odd coincidence if the use of the exact same stalking technique, allegedly, that was used by Tony White was an unrelated incident. And it was very unusual to sit there and follow them to multiple stores or all the way home. And it's exactly the same thing that happened to those other two women. Yeah, most people would give up after the first store. And it's like, okay, clearly they're not going home soon. And the (laughs) fact that he grabbed her and stuffed her in his trunk and took her to his house... That makes me wonder, was he going to kill her? Because he didn't just rape her and leave her at her house like he did the other two women. So I think maybe it was going to be an escalation. But it is believed that he would follow whom he selected from a public location. Then he would make the decision whether to proceed with the attack based on the type of neighborhood they led him back to. You know, are the neighbors real close? Are there a bunch of people outside? Is there, you know, another car in the driveway when he gets there? Sheriff Wade of Calhoun County brought up another concerning fact. He's troubled by the type of work that Tony White had prior to his arrest. Oh, no. 
White is a certified nursing assistant who worked with elderly patients. Mm -hmm. So based on his job and the vulnerability of people who are ill or bedridden, the sheriff suspects that there could be more victims that haven't been reported. And this is especially a concern because of the gap between 2013 and 2022, whereas during those years, there would have been many opportunities for elderly women under nursing care to have been victimized, and those would have been hard to detect. Some patients are not able to speak. Some suffer from dementia. Some may not remember that it even happened to them Mm -hmm. or be strong enough to report any kind of a crime. Well, that's why when I was a nurse aide back when I was doing clinicals for OSU and stuff, we had a couple men in our class. And so they actually had a rule at the college that I was going to that you are not allowed by any means if you're a male to go in the room alone yeah. with female patients right. because it was such a problem. Like, and this it's not huge... because they suspected they would do anything, but because they didn't want any kind of cloud over them. Yes, exactly. And so at all times, if there was, I had all the guys coming up to be like, I need to go bed bath Mrs. Johnson or whatever. Can you come with me? And I'd be like, yeah, right. sure. Well, and 90% of all gynecologists now, mm-hmm whether they're male or female, most of them will have Somebody someone else in the room. Because, and I'm glad, because, I mean, I'm, they're glad they're doing it. I'm not glad that it's been such a huge problem that this is necessary. But it's, Yeah, well, we live in a pretty fucked up world. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all say. Uh, oh, okay. So, anyway, I do need to reiterate that Tony White has not been convicted of any of these crimes. Mm-hmm. The investigations are all still ongoing. But as far as the Betty Cobb case... His car is on three different video surveillances following her. Mm -hmm. And she was found inside of his house, bound with duct tape Mm -hmm. and stuffed in a closet in his house. So that's that's pretty damning. Don't know how you're going to argue out of that one. Yeah. Dude. Despite the other two, this one is very damning. And especially since it matches the MO of the other two. Exactly. He is currently being held in the Calhoun County Jail in Alabama with a bond set at $4 million. But I'm a little bit confused by an article that I read that was a follow-up that was from seven days ago, and I couldn't find anything newer. Mm -hmm. The Calhoun Journal stated his charges. It said that he was charged with first-degree burglary, first-degree kidnapping, and both of these are obvious. Mm -hmm. But it also said that he was charged with rape by forcible compulsion and sodomy. And the reason I'm confused about that is because... Previous articles were very clear that Betty had not been sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if the last two charges are actually related to the two older cases. If they're already trying to get those on so that they can maybe justify testing the DNA. I don't know. Because they're cold cases until now. Or maybe they even identified him in a lineup or something, you know? Well, the one lady was 82, Mm -hmm. and that was nine years ago. So I don't know if she's even still living. But since it's still developing, we're working on the fly Mm -hmm. with the information that's available. And if I hear any updates, I will update you. Until White had been considered even as a possible suspect in the two older crimes, those two cold cases really had almost no chance of being solved. Because there just wasn't a lot of... Until he got arrested for something and they could take his DNA or somebody, you know, take somebody's DNA whether it was him or somebody else, Mm -hmm. they had no way to follow up on any of the evidence that they had. As soon as the DNA profiles are compared between the old cases and the new case, then we'll know whether this is the right man. Mm -hmm. If so, a serial rapist may now be off the street. I mean, if he had killed her, what was he going to do next? Yeah. Worse and worse and worse. Well, and, and the fact that 
it's even in question that he might have been abusing. There's no one that's saying that he was, but can put two and two together and say there's been a nine-year gap in these rapes. Mm-hmm. And he's had all of these incapacitated elderly women, which is his preferred target. He's had them basically under his thumb all this time. So it's very hard to believe that that never could have happened. Sheriff Wade was quoted as saying, people don't just wake up and go to other people's houses and kidnap them. This is not the first crime they've done. Mm-hmm. And a side note on this case, Sheriff Wade and the Calhoun County Sheriff's Office shared the credit with the East Alabama Metro Crime Center, the Anniston Police, the Oxford Police, the FBI, and the Marshal Service. So the interdepartmental coordination and police work that was done to track down and rescue Betty took six hours of time from her kidnapping to her rescue. And she was not seriously injured. So it's fucking impressive that they were able to do all that in six hours. I just wish that all missing persons had 30-year friendships with the sheriffs of their county so that they could be pushed to the top of the priority pile. A lot of other departments could learn a lot from that response. They didn't wait 24 hours. They got a call. The family showed up. Her car was there. She was not. Her groceries were on the ground. Mm-hmm. Bang, we're off. We're going to go find her. And that shouldn't be an exception, though. Exactly. That should be the majority. That should be the rule. That's like Yeah. That's... So good job to Calhoun County. They, and good and... job to the ex-wife. Yeah, good job to the ex-wife <laughs> who stopped a, a bad thing from happening to a lady who seems like she was very sweet. And that is my sort of uplifting, but more just hopeful that we've got a serial rapist off the street. It is uplifting. And hopefully there's a bunch of elderly female patients who are safer in their own beds now. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got. I think that's about it this week for us. All right. So episode 28 is out. Oh, wait. We forgot to tell the um, how to find us. So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at True Crime B&B. And you can also feel free to email us over at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Yeah, nobody sends us listener tales. We like listener tales. Well, they do. We're just not allowed to share them because they're other podcasters sharing us their (laughs) tales. And we're like, that's That's, private. (laughs) That's true. Oh, my God. We're in a group chat with some other podcasters. And they are so damn funny. You would not believe... The amazing personalities, and you don't always get it because in mm-hmm. true crime, you're you're not supposed to be hilarious all the time. You're supposed to be telling a somber story, and so you wouldn't believe it. But some of these guys are so funny. I always come in at the weirdest moments. <laughs> They'll like, be oh. having a conversation for like three hours, and I'll come in and be like, "Do you know the, how much calories are in sperm?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "All right, I think I'm gonna leave the group chat right now." <laughs> Uh, that was actually a long conversation before you got to that point. I know. I was like, I don't even want to know. Mom has any part of this conversation. You go ahead. Let them know. Oh, my God. That's too funny. <laughs> anyway, please send, send us a story. Send us something funny that happened to you or something something scary. Or, or if you, you know, had even a, a true crime case in your town that Yeah, a recommendation. We would love some recommendations. Rumors. We like rumors. We'll see you again next week for episode 29. Yep. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. And I don't think they're exporting him back to Alaska. And um, that's extradite, not export. <laughs> Putting him in a cargo. <laughs> Stick him in a box and sell him somewhere yeah. overseas. I almost said he hasn't been exonerated. <laughs> he hasn't.
hasn't been that either. He's not been exported. He's not been exonerated. <laughs> and he still hasn't even been extradited. He hasn't been anything that starts with EX, okay? <laughs> he been... could be executed. So he has not been... Extradited. Extradited 